everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Pod on You Loons. This is Sam. My guest, Cameron from Seattle, from Seattle's supporters group, Gorilla FC, will be on the program shortly, but my two co-hosts will not be here tonight. Justin needing the night off, and James, he also is a little bit worn out after having a nice little Saturday over the weekend. I don't think they have Home Depot over in the Netherlands, but pretty sure he went to Ikea. Not sure if he went anywhere else, if he had enough time, but it'll just be me running through the news, and then Cameron will be here shortly. And it's always a great conversation whenever Cameron's on. Bear with me for the next few minutes. I'm just going to run over some Minnesota United news. Of course, Minnesota United news, very insignificant given what's going on in our world and especially in our city at the moment. Football, soccer, whatever you want to call it, insignificant in general compared to what's going on in the outer world. Minnesota United, very insignificant in what's going on in the soccer world as well, given what's going on in Europe. And I I think Cameron and I will be able to touch on that in a little bit. But let's go over the Minnesota United specific news first, and then Cameron will be on and we'll take it from there. First bit of news, it was reported in the Pioneer Press that Minnesota United declined to take advantage of an MLS rule, which provided the opportunity to buy out Eichelpara's contract so that money wouldn't count against the cap. Next bit of news, Jan Gregish receives his green card, which frees up an international spot on the team. That was reported in the same Pioneer Press article, and it was also reported that the team is looking to also help Robin Lud and Ramon Metinier also obtain green cards. So right on. Minnesota United also has a open designated player spot, and that has been no secret and has been no secret that the club intends to use that open DP spot. Adrian Hunu, French striker, playing for Rennes in Liga 1, continues to be the target we keep hearing about. Both the Pioneer Press and MLS.com are reporting that the club is nearing a $3.6 million deal. Just to put that $3.6 million into perspective, Reynoso was a little bit more. His transfer fee was $5 million coming in from Boca Juniors. And Jan Gregish, his transfer fee coming in from FC Copenhagen was $2 million. Regarding Adrian Hanu, In March and April, he has played only a combined total of 27 minutes in four appearances for Rennes. I don't know. We might have to wait until the end of the French season. We may be able to get him sooner. There was no clarification on when we will see Adrian Hanou in a Loon's uniform. I know we all can't wait. On the topic of other incoming players, Franco Fragapene, currently playing in Argentina for Talleres. He is still in. They're starting 11. Game in, game out. I'm not sure what that means for the strong rumors linking him to come on up to Minnesota United, but let's hope we see him soon or at least someone of that caliber coming in, playing in that left wing spot. And then finally, one little bit of a buzzkill before Cameron hops on and the fun really gets started is the 2021 U.S. Open Cup postponed indefinitely. Logistical and financial challenges cited as the reasoning. So it could still happen, but its future is looking bleak. It just, it really bums me out. I actually really like the U.S. Open Cup 
I love the FA Cup in England, and I would love if the U.S. Open Cup can one day even just sort of resemble what they have going on in England. That would be fantastic. Anyway, guys, that is all I have for news for today. Coming up next, we have Cameron of Seattle's Gorilla FC. I promise you guys, he's not here to gloat. We're just going to have a conversation about that game we all want to forget, that Minnesota United season opener in Seattle. And then I think we can talk a little bit European Super League too, just because talk about crazy news. So, all right, guys, we'll be right back. All right, I am back with our good buddy Cameron from Seattle's Gorilla FC supporters group. Cam, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be back so soon. Yeah, and I just promised everyone out there listening, I just promised that you're not here to gloat. That's can correct. Can you confirm? Okay. Yeah, I can confirm. That's No, I'm not gloating, especially over any team that has Aussie. You're, you're always kind to Minnesota United, and that is why I like having you on here so much. But, you know, let, let's just have a real conversation about the game, kind of what you saw. You were actually there. So first of all, what was it like to be back? Yeah, it was it was really strange, right? So I'd been to that preseason game, which we talked about on that that uh, other episode that we had done, but that was only two hundred people. So to be in person with seven thousand people was really interesting. Um, it it felt safe, you know. There was no one with really close to us. The way they have locked off all the seats, you know, my dad and I were separate from everyone else, so it was still pretty cool. I got to. Um, that's what I love about Sounders games is I get to go with my dad. And so, um, and usually my friend gets to come with us too, but he got left out because uh, you have to go with only people that are in your pod, technically. Uh, I know people aren't, but uh, I figure I as, as, ask that, yeah. Yeah. as the president of Grell FC and the president of the Sounders Alliance Council, the fan government, I figure I should fo- probably follow the rules. So I, uh, you know, it was, it was really fun uh, being at in-person soccer, especially as someone who's immunocompromised and had been home for a year. Now that I have the shot, I, the shots, I have two, and I'm, I'm completely vaccinated. It's been, I've had enough time pass. I'm, I'm still not doing a lot. I'm still cautious, but it was cool. Everything is automated now, and they just everything's laid out in a way where from the moment you're in line to get into the stadium to getting food to leaving, you know, it's, they do a good job of distancing and just kind of making you feel safe. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad you got to go. I went from, so I, I had particular, predicted the last time you were on the show i had predicted it would be a roller coaster of a game ending in a draw and i was you know yes i was happy that you got to go but i was a little bit jealous of mm-hmm. of you at first and as the game went on i i was still jealous of you and then shortly after halftime i i just kind of switched to just being happy for you and uh <laughs> just happy that i was able to just walk upstairs and just go to bed yeah. Yeah. I mean, I imagine after that first half, which was pretty even, and I would say maybe a slight advantage to Minnesota overall, uh, but Seattle still looked okay. So um, the Adrian Heath take, you have the Adrian Heath take where he went into the half believing that Minnesota was the better team. Slightly, slightly better team. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think Seattle was in a new formation uh, with players playing new positions, and it showed at times. It's, uh, you know, Seattle, the, the penalty, that was a handball, and 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 so Seattle maybe mostly, normally those go in, right? So Seattle maybe deserved to be up one nothing just on that idea, but 
you got to make that penalty kick, right? And Brad Evans, who's a Sounders legend, said uh, on Twitter, he's like, I'm telling you, always go bottom right. He never missed a penalty kick in his whole Sounders career, I believe. If uh, He took them uh, for the Sounders from, and, and then was one, of course, when they would do penalty kicks at the end of a game. So, yeah, I felt like Minnesota was slightly the stronger team in the first half, and it felt like Seattle was just kind of boring and was trying to feel out what it was like to be in this new this new formation. Well, and I, I will say, if there's anything more exciting than goals, it's penalty saves. And at least we got that just beautiful save out of Dane Sinclair. At least we got that. Or just goal saves in general, because I'll say maybe more important than the first goal for Seattle was the save that Christian Roldan made on the other end immediately after that, when Minnesota should have gotten one back right away. Yeah. Brent, Brent Coleman, our center back, our backup center back that I was telling you about, he almost, it was off of a free kick, right? Mm-hmm. He, he almost was able to get that one in. What a sprint by Christian Roldan to get that goal out of there. Right. If Christian doesn't sprint to that line, knowing what's going to happen and just flail at it to get it out of there, that's a goal every single time. And that completely changes the game, right? Suddenly it's 1-1. Any momentum in Seattle's favor is gone. You know, Seattle's actually let down because it does the thing that we tend to do in Seattle, which is score and then let our guard down immediately and let the other team back in it. Well, and right. And we haven't even talked about just the banger. <laughs> that that goal from Jao Paulo was unbelievable. I mean, that was a world-class goal, no matter what league you're in in the world. The way he just softly tapped it up in the air and then was able to just ninja kick volley it into the goal. Did all 7,000 of you get loud? Oh, yeah. It was crazy in there because uh, you don't see goals like that very often. I mean, I think the Freddie Montero goal at the end, too, was another one where it was a volley out of the air that was good, but not like that. That first one, you know, that's the kind of quality I think we were hoping to get from JP. And not that he was bad last year at all, but like that's a whole nother level that you don't see in the MLS a lot. Yeah. And it's interesting that you talked about Goals either happening or goals not happening and how they change the game. Because that is a phrase that you hear from our old English coach a lot is that goals change games. I don't know. I don't have a problem with him saying that. I I get that it's cliche, but something can be both cliche and true. So I I just kind of want to go over this quote with you. And as someone who is not a Minnesota United supporter... I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. So I'll say it. I don't, I don't have the old guy English accent, but <laughs> here we go. You know, football is a cruel game sometimes. As coaches have just said, it's not a 4 nil game. The game was very tight throughout. I thought first half we were probably the better team. Robin Lud has a really good chance. I've said it a million times. Goals change games. And I think the one thing today, every time we got a little bit of momentum in the game, they managed to get a breakaway and got some goals. So that was Adrian Heath's comment. Uh, Will Will Trapp actually made kind of a similar comment where he also made the goals change games cliche. How do you react as someone that was at the game, as someone that's been watching MLS for over 10 years? How do you react to that statement? It's true to a degree, but it can also be used as a cop out, right? If you're saying that, oh, you know, we were even, but we lost for nothing. We were just as good as them. 
Well, there were moments where you weren't. And you're when you're going as a world-class player like Rui Diaz, and really I forget how good Freddie Montero is and kind of the ability he has to move on the field and, and what a difference that made in the game as well. When you have a super sub that can come on like that, I think that you're right. Goals do change games because at the same time, when the goal score, once you're up to nothing, you've got to change how you're playing because if you want to win, you've got to start pushing forward a little more. Where I think Adrian Heath is correct is that there were a lot of good chances for Minnesota. If it weren't for Stefan Fry and and that one big save by Roldan, I think that there could have been a ton more goals scored by, uh, at least by Minnesota. I think Seattle probably had a few that could have gone in as well more, but most of our chances went in in those instances where we were on breakaways. I think also it seemed like once Rui Diaz is hard to defend and as, as there became a little more space around the defenders, it became a lot harder to defend Rui Diaz, Will Bruin or Freddie Montero, Christian Roldan, you know, those types of players, Alex Roldan coming in through the side and crossing it a bunch. Like that became more difficult because there's just a little bit more space to make plays. Minnesota United commentary seems to be relatively critical towards, and you can only be so critical towards a backup center back, a veteran guy that he is what he is, but Roy Diaz definitely started to outmatch Brent Coleman towards the end. Because after that Jao Paulo goal, the next two were, if I remember correctly, they were relative tap-ins. Mm-hmm. It was a great breakaway where it was just a cross a pass across the box where he, he was able to tap it in and the, the goal, he just had no chance. And really the, the, I think this, the Montero goal was similar. It just was a little bit further away from the goal. Dude, no one was paying attention by the time of the Montero goal. <laughs> I think at that point we were, you know, once it was three, nothing, we thought it was over as fans. And then the, the Freddie goal was just meaningful because it was his first game back. He was the all time. He is still the all time leading scorer in Sounders history. Plus having him and Ozzy on the same field at that point. I don't know if you noticed this, if you're still paying attention, but Freddie comes on and then Ozzy comes on. And then one of the first things Ozzy does is take Freddie out and fouls him. That, and that's awesome. That's just such an odd. I mean, they're good yeah. friends too. They're original sounders. They, they yeah. were on the 2019 and, and then Ozzy gets up and he's just like, mm, that's how it is. <laughs> and it, it was pretty fun to watch and they traded jerseys afterwards which was really cool to see i did was, see that yeah yeah it was afterwards ozzy had to run lines because all the um all the subs and people who didn't get subbed in were running after the game and so he was running in his in his freddie montero sounders jersey so uh it was kind of it was it was fun to see ozzy there but but going back to what you were saying yeah i mean i think they're right minnesota has to push a little more once they're down two nothing, and that's it's one of the reasons why they say two nothing is the most dangerous score in soccer. In soccer, in football, another cliche, right? Yeah, it's it's because once you're up two nothing, the other team goes, okay, we can't just get back into this at any given moment. We have to put more effort. We actually have to push forward. We can't sit back as much. And I don't know if Minnesota was sitting back throughout the game. They seem to be pushing forward, but maybe they pushed a little bit more forward to the point where the the just great passing that you saw coming from the midfield in Seattle would just open up s- space for other players. Yeah, I think it's more that. And I do think that the Minnesota, right, there were a couple of close calls. Robin Lud hitting the post. Brent Coleman being denied by that just amazing run by Rildan. 
Reynoso and Abila just almost connecting, but not quite, right? there. Abila made his Minnesota United debut late in the game. I mean, I think if Abila, if we're a month from now, Abila hits, I mean, the first touch he had on the ball goes wide and just kind of flails at it. I think that goes in a month from now. I think his other shot goes in a month from now. I mean, we're talking, this could have been a, a, a five to five game. If, if all these things, if everything had fallen the way it could have. Well, yeah. And we've talked a lot about Minis- the things that didn't happen on Minnesota United's offense. But one thing that just wasn't even a factor on Minnesota United's offense is both the wings. You guys shut Ethan Finley down on the right. And without really having with, without really having a regular left winger in place yet, Hassani Dotson moving in into that role for the first time that we've ever seen it. Both of those options didn't do much for Minnesota United in terms of offense. Yeah, I think part of that is the scheme that the Sounders are running. You know, the the three five two, uh, or however I mean, you could call it a a a five three two if you wanted almost because it's three center backs and then two wing backs, and it's kind of the old. I mean, it's one of the earliest formations in football. It's the one that you saw at the beginning of the 1900s, I guess, mid-1930s, 1940s, once once the offsides rule came into place. And so the way Seattle does it, they already had when they would play four at the back, is when you're playing with two center defensive mids, one could easily drop back. And so one could drop back and one could move forward. And so instead of being next to each other, they would be front and back. And so you could suddenly have four defenders. Well, now you have three center backs. And then as someone's coming down the right flank, the right wing back comes back and comes in. And then you have four people at the back and the left wing back can move up and attack that person and vice versa. And so you are, you're going to end up with four people at the black at the back plus one person that's on the person with the ball and then two center defensive mids that can move throughout that middle region to prevent passing coming through. And so when it's done right, you end up with a really staunch defense at the back. Now, I think Seattle's problem is we push forward so much that generally those wings could both be up. The center defensive mids could be up. Plus, we had an 18-year-old starting at center defensive mid who played great. He made MLS team yeah. on the bench. He's a bench player, but still. Well, well done for him. Yeah, Tencio did a great job and then later had a, a an 18, one was 18, one was 19, another guy who was local sub-in, homegrown player to get to play. So uh, You can't you know, come on a Minnesota United podcast and talk about all your homegrown guys, man. You're going <laughs> to... They're not there yet, right? They've, got, they've still got to prove themselves. So. You're, you're going to start a frenzy. <laughs> but I think those players are getting an opportunity because of the players we talked about last time that are missing. Because you have no one to fill those spots. So all they have are young players to step in. And this was an example where that young player did well. Jao Paulo usually would be playing center defensive mid or pulled back. And then also you could have roll down back there and JP over on the side or, you know, without Nico Lodero, it's just, it was a different lineup than it usually is. I think that it worked this time. And I think part of it may be that, you know, Minnesota's never seen Seattle play in this formation and it may be different the next time they play because they're going to be more familiar with how it was i was worried last time about it stretching the defense too much and we did see that at times we saw times where minnesota had really great chances on goal 
but in the end they didn't go in and that's just kind of how the game goes sometimes. Yeah. Four nil, whether it was deserved or not. I, I think we all agree. Seattle definitely deserved to win and deserved to win decisively, but has your season outlook changed after Friday night? Because both you and I listed Minnesota United as a top four team in the Western conference. ESPN now has after this four zero loss, ESPN now has Minnesota United ranked 27 of 27 in their power rankings. Seattle, of course, they have ranked as number one. Is this an overreaction? Yes. On both accounts, I think that's a yes. It's an overreaction. I mean, first off, they had Seattle ranked eighth going into that game. And what they said was, it doesn't matter that they're eighth. They're probably going to be in the MLS Cup after a big summer signing. Get used to it. And that's sadly <laughs> for everyone else, but great you, for us. That's kind of how it's gone. That was your take just a week ago. That was your take yeah. a week ago on this show was. Yeah. So, so, I mean, I don't think it's as dire as it is for Minnesota, just because I think that was the biggest loss. There was another, there was a four, one loss, I think, but Minnesota played overall. Well, it just got away from them in the second half. It was a road game. It was the first game of the year. You know, you had people playing out of position. I don't think that's, I would govern entire season based on that. No, it's that's a ridiculous take. I'm I'm wondering if whoever wrote that and and I didn't check who it was. I'm wondering if they just didn't try it. Like, was this one of their NFL writers? They just assigned right. to do it tonight. Like, are they entire? Are they basing it entirely off of standings? If if they are, fine. But don't call it a power ranking. Clearly, an overreaction. Minnesota United have had three players playing out of position or a backup role. I'm not happy. I'm not excited, right? Like I was deflated a little bit as I think a lot of Minnesota United fans were because we had a lot of hype going into this game, but we're not 27 of 27. Right. That is no. just ridiculous. And I think it's too early to call Seattle number one. I mean, you have to put someone at first, right? And the four nothing win looks pretty good. And and what I saw but a four nothing win against the worst team in the league, according to this is <laughs> right. not quite as good. We didn't, we didn't go up the power rankings all those times we beat Chivas USA. Right. So, um, yeah, I, you know, the interesting thing for me, cause I, you know, I think I said Seattle will probably finish second because that's how we do it. But I am worried about the fact in the West, but I am worried about the fact that it's hard sometimes to stay up there. And it seems like we might be taking a step back. This game gave me a little more hope that if with Nico Ladero returning, that if they can move the ball like they did against other teams, which we hadn't seen them move against a, I, I hadn't seen a person them move the ball against a professional team because I'd been to the minor league, the game against the minor league team, that Seattle could be pretty good. But I think that I'm, ca I'm cautious about it just because I know it's a new formation. And when you only have three at the back, you're still stretching that defense out. So they might be high scoring, but I do really worry about giving up goals in bad situations. Well, Cameron, you're a very gracious winner. Appreciate it. You did not gloat at all as advertised. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Normally when you and I get together, I would like to, because you and I are both Chelsea fans and our team is in the FA Cup final. Our team is in the Champions League semifinal. Our team is just one point out of a Champions League spot for next year, 
but we have a game in hand on, on West Ham United. Plus, it's it's West Ham. They're going to fall eventually, right? We aren't as excited as we should be right now, or at least I'm not. I won't speak for you. Because right now, the entire football world is in a hizzy over this European Super League, which our team is a part of. Yeah. And, hey... MLS only listeners out there, just hear me out for a second because this does this does have a little bit of an MLS tie. I don't think I'm stretching too much to say that promotion and relegation, it's it's an interesting topic in the United States because you have right, the expansion fee for Charlotte was $325 million. So you have these owners or these ownership groups paying hundreds of millions of dollars to get into the first tier of American soccer. Atlanta's at 500 million. LAFC is at 700 million. They don't want promotion relegation because they don't want their teams. They don't want that risk that their team could be bumped down to the USL and have to play against forward Madison. They don't want that. Which I just got my forward Madison Jersey in the mail. I'm oh, really? Yeah, I got the I got two actually. I got the, like the kind of floral, almost uh, Hawaiian looking print gold jersey, and then the um, the black with the black kind of the 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 one that uh, Inter Miami stole. Oh wow, that's I did not know that you followed them at all. That's awesome, man. Only a very little bit. I, I think more than anything, it's I love good jerseys. So I have I have theirs. I have uh, Minneapolis City, and then I have um, New Mexico United, which I think three of the best jerseys around in, in all three of those teams. Yeah, I I love Forward Madison. I've told you Madison is my home city. I love that I'm from Madison. I am so proud of being from Madison. So the fact that they have a professional soccer team is awesome. I've only been to one game so far. It was awesome. Can't wait to go back again. I do have I do have the jersey. It's like a blue one with a sash that kind of mimics the the flag of the city of Madison. I oh, cool. had to I had to get that one because it represented home the most to me. But anyway, that that is besides the point. Is that you have owners paying hundreds of millions of dollars to be in the MLS. Did you guys know that storied Newcastle United Forbes has them listed as valued at $381 million. Storied team in the Premier League. And they are valued roughly the same as an expansion team in the MLS. That seems crazy, except for the idea that Newcastle United is not guaranteed to be in the Premier League year after year. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean- important. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, so that makes sense. And that's important to remember as we're talking about this Super League. We have 10 of Europe's biggest teams, plus Arsenal and Tottenham, who are forming what they call the European Super League. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United, Manchester City, Arsenal, Tottenham from England, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid coming in from Spain, Inter Milan, AC Milan, and Juventus coming in from Italy, they say there's going to be three more permanent members. You would think maybe Bayern Munich, Dortmund, PSG, but no French or German teams have committed to being in this yet, plus five rotating members. So you're going to have 
15 permanent teams, five rotating members in this European Super League that is supposed to just have these clash of giants type games midweek every week. I I don't know, Cam- Cameron, the reason I'm kind of excited to talk about this with you is you're the first person I have discussed this with that hasn't immediately been up in arms. Yeah, I think it's because I look at it from a few different points of view, right? If we're just looking at quality of play and before everyone starts yelling at their device that you're hearing this on, we will get to criticisms of it. Don't worry. Uh, I would love to see it. Not even just my team, not just Chelsea and PSG. I lived in Paris, so I, I supported them while I lived there. So I consider them one of my teams as well. I get, got to go to a lot of matches. They weren't very good then. That's interesting. I, I became, and we've talked about this before with Chelsea. I became a fan of both teams when they weren't good. So now that they're good is awesome. Right. Like this is, this is funny because you hopping on these bandwagons in the late nineties, early two thousands, if people don't know your backstory, they just think you're like the biggest, (laughs) you're, you're just like the biggest bandwagon guy ever. I'm jumping on with the, the Russian oil (laughs) oligarch and the, in the, uh, you know, the oil money. I think, I think PSG is oil money too. So no, it's like I was a PSG. I lived in Paris in 2000 and I went to matches and that's became a fan. And I became a Chelsea supporter in 95 because my friend grew up a Chelsea supporter and he introduced me to them. So before they were owned by Abramovich and I forget the name of the PSG ownership group, but so I've been a long time supporter and I, in theory, I love the idea of watching these major clubs clash more often and having a super league where you can see them play each other. My initial concerns were mainly around congestion, schedule congestion, because especially at the Premier League, you already have, you know, if you're at the top of the table, you already have your Premier League matches. You already have Champions League matches. You have FA Cup. You have uh, whatever the EFL Cup is called. Is it Carabao Cup right now? Whatever whatever the sponsor Currently is. Currently the Carabao, yeah. Carabao Cup. Uh, I think it used to be, no, Coca-Cola Cup might have been the FA Cup. It's too many sponsors, but uh, you have all these different competitions and then you're adding in one more so it's more chances for injury it'll lessen the quality if if this is the one that gets taken seriously it will lessen the quality of play in the in the premier league and particularly in the efl cup and the fa cup efl cup has already become a secondary cup it's not like it used to be it used to be a major cup and the fa cup is still important because of the the ramifications of winning it but you know, who knows if that changes over time and they start focusing on this other league. So I was worried about fixture congestion and injuries because you're going to start spreading the team a lot thinner over all those matches and you're going to get lesser play in some of those other games. We see it in MLS where if you have a midweek U.S. Open Cup game, you have to take seriously because you have a chance to get into the Champions League for the teams that do. Then you might not be able to start all your starters on the weekend in a league match. And you saw the Sounders do that for years and years. And now it's kind of switched where they focus more on the league matches over the U S open cup. But then what if you have a comp and calf champions league match, then you have to worry about that. And we haven't even mentioned European champions league. So there's even more fixtures, <laughs> which who knows if these teams will even be allowed in those. Um, right. Well, and that's another thing to talk about. So, so my immediate reaction was, Oh, this is a cool idea in theory but I worry about those ramifications. And that was before I even thought about all the other stuff that people bring up. Yeah. And I, I definitely hear you like the idea of 
right? I like watching Chelsea play Brighton and Hove Albion. I like that. I like watching my team play. And a lot of times when they play those little teams, they get to win. So it's fun watching my team win and just kind of sipping on my tea and, you know, enjoying the morning. But man, it is fun to watch Chelsea just play another giant. Like that is fun. It was it was fun watching them play Atletico recently. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to watch them play Real Madrid. I'm going to be anticipating these games. I'm going to be just psyched for these games. But with with that said, I am not super excited about this. Mm. Right now, I hope that the Chelsea board, that the Chelsea ownership, I hope that they change their mind. And I think the reason for it is, is that I think the reason why I got so into soccer, because I didn't grow up playing or watching soccer. I got into it a little bit around 2008 when I went to England for the first time and was a university student there. And then I I got into it even more in 2011 when I moved to the Twin Cities and I um, began working at a school where the majority of my students and colleagues were all Somali and they they were playing a lot of soccer. And getting into soccer, what what really just got me just hooked and immersed in in the sport was the culture surrounding it. All these quirky things about the English system and the English pyramid and who qualifies for this cup and how do you get relegated? How do you get promoted? By theory, like, could you have a tier 10 team advance into the FA Cup so that they play a Premier League giant like well, shoot, I think we had a eighth tier team play Tottenham last year. Like just that, that culture of the sport, I became so hooked by it. And then getting to know the culture surrounding the supporters groups in, in England and getting to know like just the history of all these clubs and just the history of the sport in the country. I became so immersed in it that I, I, for example, I would love it if the FA Cup winner was guaranteed a Champions League spot, because then I think hands down every serious club will take the FA Cup serious. Right now, honestly, it's almost more fun watching the earlier rounds of the FA Cup where you have these smaller teams playing it out because you know that that cup means everything to them. Does that cup mean everything to Chelsea and Manchester United the way that it once did? I don't know. I'm rambling a little bit, but the romance around English soccer means so much to me. Or sorry, I'll say English football. I don't want to make anyone mad. The romance around English football means so much to me. I loved just I absolutely loved learning the history and I still am learning more about the history of English football. And I don't want to see that changed. Even if it means giving up on the opportunity to see Chelsea play Real Madrid more often or Chelsea play Juventus more often. I just, I don't want to give up the romance around the English football pyramid. Yeah. And that makes total sense to me. And I think I'm, I'm first, I'm going to talk about what you said, where you call the English soccer soccer was the name that England used when they exported football to the entire world. So all the colonies that got soccer, they called it soccer in the colonies. And it was a word that was used in England until like, the late seventies. Yeah. So when, when people get mad for us for saying soccer in the United States, it was a differentiation from rugger. 
So rugger being rugby and soccer being association football. It came from association. So soccer is a British term. And yeah. so people just need to get over it. They so can cool. bugger off. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I get what you're saying. And I think a lot of the young fans maybe don't feel that way, though, uh, in some ways, because it's all about these big matches. And unless you're uh, for the big teams, for the young, for the smaller teams, obviously it's important. I would much, I'm like you, I would much rather watch those small teams battle. I honestly, and this is going to be the one other nice thing I say about the tournament, I don't really care about watching Manchester United play Liverpool or play Arsenal. That I have zero interest in watching that match. It just doesn't appeal to me. I hate both teams. I would much rather watch, you know, Batman versus Superman. Yeah. <laughs> well, only if both their parents have the same, <laughs> their moms have the same name. I would much rather watch Juventus play. I don't know, a Spanish team, Real Madrid. You know what but I mean? Is, like, but is because part of that because they don't play each other often? Where yeah. Now, if those same fifteen teams are going to play each other twice a year, will that be a special? Right. And I, and I think we have a perfect example in the United States with interleague baseball. It used to be special when teams that never played each other would suddenly play each other. And it just doesn't, now you do it all the time and it, it doesn't, who cares? Like, oh, well, I, I get to see the, a national league team come in and play in Seattle every once in a while. Cool. But I don't really care. So that's, that's the other thing is there's still that novelty factor. Now, what are the problems with it? One while they're saying there are incentives to the fans, it's going to drive up ticket prices. It's going to make the game less accessible to those people because it's a very, it's a separate system. It's not, you can't win your way into it. So it's the same teams that are going to be in it every year with the, what, five rotating teams. And so it goes back to your question of relegation. There is no relegation from this league. You're just automatically in it. And so that I think people don't like, because if you're not one of those elite teams, you know, as elite team, we benefit from it. If you're not one of those elite teams, that kind of sucks. What if your team gets really, really good? Now you might be able to make a permanent status, but that shouldn't, it shouldn't have to be that way. You should be able to earn your way in it. There's no merit. This is just a bunch of people that have a lot of money that decided to take their ball and go home and form a different league. Yeah, exactly. Like, how does it feel to be Everton right now? who like Everton is always on the cusp of being one of the big guys. And I, I know historically they were one of the big guys, but in, in recent history, they're always on the cusp. Lester, right? We all, we all know what happened with Lester. They shocked the world and actually won a premier league. Now imagine the difference in value and the difference in monetary resources that the top six clubs of England I shouldn't even say the top six, the big six, because the big six aren't even necessarily the top six based on how they're playing. But right. the big six, think about just the monetary resources. They already have more resources than the Everton's, the Leicester's, that that next tier. But that that's now going to grow exponentially. And that seems less fun. That seems less competitive. And I mean, that's important because what, what makes Tottenham, I mean, you listed them as not one of the elite teams. <laughs> in their what makes them different than Everton? They don't, they finish roughly the same. Most of the time I would guess over the years, Tottenham usually gets into that last or no, usually they're the last team out of the champions league. They get the, the, uh, the, uh, what the Europa league spot because Chelsea knocks them out somehow year after year. Uh, and then, and then Everton's right behind them. And the difference is Tottenham has a ton of money and 
and Everton doesn't. So why does having that extra money just give them the benefit of going? It's kind of silly. And this has sparked mass protests across Europe and even the world. I saw there were protests going on at Fenway Park in Boston in our own country. Well, that wasn't part of the people who were proposing it were the owners of Fenway and Liverpool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So Red Sox. And so that makes sense, I guess. You know, you, you have UEFA, which UEFA, they are no saints. I want to, I want to throw that out there. That's the other angle of this, right? (laughs) And and, uh, FIFA are not like, they're mad about it, but those aren't good organizations either. And so it's kind of like, they're bad too. (laughs) They just want to keep their power. So they're, they're threatening to ban these clubs from all continental and even global competitions. Even saying, going as far as to say that the players on these teams won't be allowed to represent their national teams in the World Cup or in the Euros. Now, I don't know if they could tell the U.S. Soccer Federation that that Christian Pulisic can't play in the World Cup. I don't know if it would extend beyond UEFA countries, but... They probably could. I mean, just because of their status of their governing body. That's the thing is, here's what I want. If we're going to do this, if we're going to go through this, let's call the American players out for those games. Don't let them play. So their teams can be in it, but their players won't play. (laughs) And then all the best teams in the world are missing their best players. And suddenly the United States is a world power in soccer again, which we haven't been since we were fourth in the world back in the late 90s, early 2000s, whenever that was, probably early 2000s. Or here was an interesting point I heard somewhere on the internet. There is one relatively big world soccer tournament that doesn't have to listen to any of these people. And that is the Olympics. Hmm. What if they were to say, you know what? We're not going to be a U23 competition anymore and just open it up. Yeah. Which they could. It's not U23 on the women's side, is it? I don't think so. It's not. Because we've seen some great tournaments happen. Yeah. And that used to be open. Like basketball was open. And it might still be. I I think I just stopped caring. The... the, (laughs) Back when I was a kid, we had the the uh, dream team, 92 dream team, and that was oh, such yeah. a big deal. And now it's like we win so much, I actually kind of root for the other teams, if I'm being honest. <laughs> I root it. That's the one sport where I root against the USA because it's not fair. We just dominate. Back back to the response by UEFA and FIFA, but it's a dramatic response. And you, you have other high-profile voices, right? Gary Neville of uh, Manchester United and Sky Sports fame even suggesting that the six English clubs, including his beloved Manchester United, he's saying they should be relegated. So you could have a strong response by some very powerful people in the sport. And that leads me to this first question here. Is, is this mutually assured destruction between these big clubs and the powers that be or the existing powers that be in the world of football. Yeah. What if they call that bluff? What if they say, okay, ban us and they go on and form a super league and just don't, they don't, they stop taking part in the English premier league. They stop playing in La Liga. They stop playing in Syria. You know, we we've heard about this in college football, right? There was a time not too long ago where the PAC 12 and a few other conferences, uh, I was going to say the Southwestern conference, but the SEC, I don't think the Southwestern conference has been around for a while. The SEC, the big, the big 12 and teams like that talked about breaking away and forming their own collegiate association separate from the NCAA. 
where they control everything because they didn't like the way the NCAA and Mark Emmert, former president of the University of Washington, who's done a terrible job as head of the NCAA, they don't like the way he's doing it. Or they were even going to join, they were going to have the Pac-12 and uh, the Big Ten, you know, a bunch of teams from the Big Ten joined the Pacific 12, and then it was going to be a whole, like, West Coast, Southwestern conference with 16 teams. Not, and this isn't that long ago. We're talking within the last five years. And it all has to do with TV contracts and money coming in. I think this is no different where what, what happens? What if, what if these teams go, okay, fine, ban us? And they might need to leave it up to the players to decide if they're going to play in those games so they don't get banned. But this could be bad for everyone. It is that mutually assured destruction where if one person pushes the nuclear button now, everything goes down. Well, and does Chelsea really care if Christian Pulisic, who's made of glass, if he can't play for the U.S. national team? Not in a not not. For that sake, but I bet they care if they want him to be a f- happy member of their team. I bet they care to a degree about his wishes, right? You, 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 you'd hope that the clubs care about their players and their their wishes, uh, and and understand that representing your club or your your country is a huge honor. We've seen lots of times where clubs and country have gone head to head, though, about releasing players. Um, right. I mean, we didn't see Pulisic in any of the qualifiers for the for the Olympics. And yeah, I don't prob- think I don't think we saw any of. Well, they didn't have. They weren't obligated to release those players. Right. Right. But we didn't see but, any of the Europe-based players. But if we had, and they and they played their own friendlies. But if we had, the U.S. would be in the Olympics probably right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they should have been in anyways, but <laughs> we can't seem to get out of our own way. <laughs> Let's not open that can of worms tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so so what happens? We, what is the power of UEFA? What is the power of FIFA? What is the power of these leagues, especially when it's not about the sport anymore? It's about money. It's I think I have a lot of friends that are old school fans who are just kind of fed up because they they're like, it's just corporate now. It doesn't have the the purity of sport anymore. And I'm kind of caught in the middle because I understand that. I respect that. And I do believe that. But I also understand that professional sports have a lot of money involved and I still love my teams. And so I'm not going to stop rooting for my club. I I align pretty similar to you in in that statement. It's I agree. Money is the, and I've said this before on this show, money is the worst part about sports, professional sports or, or college sports even, right? Like I find it disgusting how, how much these networks make off of these college athletes. I find that disgusting. I also don't necessarily love the idea of just throwing a bunch of money at college students. That doesn't seem, I I just, I don't know what the answer is. It doesn't really seem like there is a good one, but money is the worst part about sports. Soccer, there's so much money in it. I'm not going to lie. I find MLS refreshing. Yes, there's still money in the MLS. Yes, it's still run as a business. Yes, not everything is done in the best interest of the sport, and some of it is done in the best interest of of business, but it's not disgusting amounts of money that are being thrown around, and you get teams like Forward Madison, Minneapolis City, all of your your smaller local teams, they have even less of that money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I mean, and that that is one of the reasons why there's certain USL teams that would never join the MLS because they view it as corporate. So there, there is that aspect there. Um, but have you ever read the Nutmeg? It's it's like uh, the Onion, but for soccer related news. I have not. No. So putting it this in the context for MLS fans, so for all the Loons fans out there, there was a article that came out today on the nutmegnews.com that says MLS creates Super League with just Atlanta United, LAFC, and the Seattle Sounders. <laughs> and so this is essentially what it would be like as if like all these European clubs came together and formed the Super League. It was like, we're just going to form the Super League. And here's the quote they put in it. Obviously, this is satire. We are a league of the future, and we think that it is a great idea. It definitely helps us concentrate on the teams that actually give us money, said Don Garber, sending a $500 million Venmo request to each team. There should be more exclusivity in our leagues, not less. <laughs> Let's be honest. Playing Colorado on a Wednesday is a drag. Why not just play the exciting teams in the exciting cities all the time and get paid more to do so? So, I mean... That sums it up in satire is pretty much what's happening. It's interesting, different teams, but for me as a Sounders fan, it kind of felt last season like this because of the COVID restriction. We did get a few games in against Colorado and RSL and stuff like that, but really Seattle played Portland, uh, Vancouver, LAFC, and LA Galaxy over and over again. So it was like its own little super league that we had. Yeah, well, we got to play Dallas and Sporting Kansas City just constantly. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm glad that's done. I'm I, <laughs> I almost wish we didn't have to play any of those teams this year, but of course, that's all the teams Seattle's starting out with again. Uh, and I'm sure you have a similar situation, but but just the absurdity of it from that concept, where it's just about money. So I get that, and so my initial reaction of being excited, uh, like oh, that would be cool, is tempered by the reality of the situation. What does it do to the fans? What does it do to the sport? All that kind of stuff. Yep. I'll have to check that nutmeg out though. And uh, shout out to the onion. I'm, I'm not sure if you know this, but Madison, Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin's own. That's where the onion is from. So. Oh, I didn't know that. Cause I think it did. Are they based out of Chicago now, maybe or something like I that? I believe they, they are now. Yeah. But yeah. they were founded in Madison. <laughs> and just some of the other articles they have $14 beers, not getting a man as buzzed in stadium as they did pre pandemic. <laughs> uh, second Pfizer shot gives man lightning fast access to Roja direct us streams without pop-ups. So there's, there's, it's just all soccer uh, stuff throughout it. So it's, it's, it's not always on point, but it definitely was on point right there with the, the MLS super league. <laughs> Well, man, before we move on, just one final question. Say the European Super League happens. Say it goes forward, and it's going to be ugly if it goes forward. I I would honestly, I would say there's a decent shot that this isn't going to happen. And I, I'd say there's already rumors that Chelsea and Manchester City may pull out because there's already rumors that Chelsea and Manchester City were kind of pressured to join. Say it goes forward and say it's ugly. How do you feel as a Chelsea supporter? Do you remain as invested in Chelsea? I mean, big sigh there. I think so. But it's just because if I'm dropping out because of money and and the situation this creates, I would have to stop being a fan when they got bought out, when they started having oil oligarch money, when they, you know, it's like, I've been a fan so long and I, I don't begrudge anyone that doesn't want to be a fan anymore. It's just, I've been a fan of the team so long and had so many downs that now that I'm in the ups, it's hard to, to do that. I also think the older I get, 
the less black and white I see things. <laughs> and, and and part of it is I've I've always like baseball. I've always hated the Seattle Mariners ownership. Um, even they even I mean it's okay now, but they still have some problems. Um, but I'm there supporting the players. So even if I think the owners are making the wrong thing, I'm there supporting the players. And I think that's the same thing for Chelsea. Like I love the club, but it's the players that I'm supporting. And so I think I still would support them. But I understand the idea that it, if this is just brazen greed and it's not actually benefiting anyone else but those teams, it makes it hard to go, okay, why, why would we continue to support this product? Yeah, I'm a little undecided, honestly. I'm a very loyal guy. I, When I said Chelsea was my team, I, I meant it. I didn't really know what I was talking about at the time. But I meant that Chelsea was my team going forward forever. And right now, I would say my my fandom probably split pretty 50-50 Chelsea and Minnesota United. I don't have a Chelsea podcast, but I follow them pretty closely. And I, I listen to a lot of Chelsea podcasts. I actually based this one off of a Chelsea podcast I like. But if this goes forward and it's it's ugly... I've heard some people say, guys, we were all freaking out when the English Premier League was invented. Just chill out and it'll be fine. I've heard some people say that I was way too young and not paying attention back then. Yeah, me too. I mean, but for people, listeners that don't know, let's say real quick, there was no Premier League. It used to be the first division, which is now the championship, which is the second division, was the first division. And then they decided to create a Premier League above that. And so, and that was when all the money got involved with the league. So you're right. Maybe it is that. I don't know. Yeah. But if it's, if it's ugly, I really do think that I will no longer have team one a and team one B. I think the loons will be team one Chelsea. I I don't know where they fall in, fall in line with forward Madison and (laughs) Minneapolis city, but I, I think I would still like Chelsea. I'm not quite looking to hop on to Southampton, which it would be Southampton, <laughs> um, given that that that's the team that geographically I would have chosen had I known what I was doing. Um, but I don't I don't think I'm quite ready to hop on to another team. But I do think I would become less invested, and it's because I love, like I, I talked about earlier, I love the romance of the English system. And with this, I feel like that romance is lost. Yeah. Maybe not completely, but yeah, that's so hard because that is, once you see the business side of things, you can lose that romance really easily. And, and I think about just, just the, I was a Seahawks fan my entire life, right? Football, American football, uh, season tickets since I was 10 years old, like, loved them was there went to every home game the year they went uh two and 14 <laughs> like so a lot of bad games and, and you weren't even allowed to drink no no i was a kid <laughs> yeah and you were a kid outside of wisconsin like <laughs> so when they won the super bowl it was an amazing experience right it was something i've wanted my whole life i was so happy but there was it wasn't a full happiness because at the same time I was involved with a lawsuit as a lawyer representing a client client against the Seahawks on intellectual property issues. So seeing the business side of things of it, and we all know it's a business, but we want want to feign the purity. 
it kind of bummed me out. And so it wasn't as pure as it was. It could have been. And so this is just another one of those business side of things. It's like, ugh, it's gross, but it just kind of is how it is. And, and teams can make decisions you don't agree with. And that's the one thing being super involved with the Sounders, you know, running I'm the president of the fan government, the Alliance Council, I get to see what their, what their reasoning is from the inside. And I get to understand what they're thinking and I get to give input on it and have them listen to me too, which is cool which try to keep them honest on that kind of stuff. But ultimately we don't get any say in the business decisions. So yeah, I, I could see that it, it, as much as it is, it ruins as much as I know that it's not pure. It still hurts me. And I would, and I want it to, I, w- I hope it's better. Right. I hope FIFA gets better. I hope UEFA gets better. I hope CONCACAF gets better. I wish the MLS weren't a single entity league. Right. I wish that, that it was a, a better structure. And technically, I don't know how it's legal for it to be a single entity, entity league. It seems like uh, a very strange exception to the law. But I think no one wants any USL team that's not Louisville City to have any shot right now at making it into the MLS. Well, and if we're talking pro-rel, like, I I don't know if I want to say this because pro-relegation Twitter, Twitter in the United States is is a freaking nightmare. And I don't want to deal with them, but I get that if you're spending $385 million on a team, and then that's not even counting the stadium or whatever, that you suddenly don't want to be relegated in the first year. And then think about how much money you're in the hole. Right. Like ultimately, if we want relegation in the United States, we need the USL and below to set up a pro rel system and have it in place so that when the MLS is ready, they can just adopt it. They can just slide into the system. That's what I think needs to happen. But we're talking 30 years from now. We're not talking tomorrow. Yeah, and I would love to talk about that more on a different day. But <laughs> yeah. Cameron, thank you for coming on. That is all we have for tonight. Yeah, thank you. Always a blast having you on. Hey, anytime you're just at home watching a game, the loons happen to be on, turn it on, give me a text. We'll, we'll invite you back on the show. They don't have to be playing the Sounders for you to come on and talk soccer with us, all right? Sounds great. I'm into it. Next up for the Loons, we're hosting Real Salt Lake, Saturday, April 24th at 7 p.m. Justin and I will record shortly after. We're not sure if James will have internet access yet. We'll see. He moved into his new place. That's why he had a nice little Saturday uh, that I was talking to you all about earlier. And man, whenever he's on next, shoot, like there's some weird stuff going on in the Netherlands when you move houses that... I had a lot of questions and I still do have a lot of questions. So I'm excited to have him come on and clarify that. We'll put that at the end. Don't worry. But anyway, Cameron, thank you again. Always great having you on. Everyone, thank you so much for listening. That's all we got for tonight. Pot on you loons. Cameron, you sign off any way you want. Uh, Bye, everybody. Check out uh, Gorilla FC at Gorilla FC on Twitter. Yeah, and I'll I'll put Cameron's Twitter handle in the show notes as well so you can check out all the cool things he does. He's a fun follow. Peace out, guys.